Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 4, Episode 16, 2010. I'm so excited for episodes like this where it takes place theoretically in the future, but now it's very much in the past. So you just get to point and laugh at all the assumptions they made about what the future would be. I know. I think they did not too bad, though, honestly, because there's also it's also like alien stuff in the future. So it's not just Earth's future. It's also there are aliens in our future. Yeah. So, but, but even like some of the clothes that they wear. Oh, I brought I I made an I love all the clothing in this episode. Like yeah. Sam's dress at like the ceremony in the beginning. I love it. I want it. But you know, I'm sure it was custom made for this episode. But I'm like I love like even like Til- Tilk's robes are glorious. And you just... want Tilk's robe too? Sure. Why not? Yeah, it did look pretty comfy. Yeah. But apparently was very annoying, according to Christopher Judge, according to the commentary. Oh, it's like one of it's like one of no, just like Andy Makita, who's the director, was mentioned in passing that when they were like on that scene, it's like it's one of the very few things Christopher Judge has like ever complained about was like the rows were just I think it's just because they were quite long and like trailing on the floor, you know, Mm. a lot and like kind of had a bit of a train behind him. I think it was just getting annoying, like walking. Oh, you know, because yeah. it was dragging and stuff. Not but, really uh, used to that for men clothes. No. So. It's typically a lady clothes thing. It is, yes. yes. All right. Well, All right. what stats do we have for this one? Okay, so this episode originally aired on January 12th, 2001. It was written by Brad Wright, directed by Andy Makita. And on the commentary, we have Andy Makita, Peter West, director of photography, and James Titchener, visual effects supervisor. And also, this episode is in the official scripts book. So there will be some um, fun facts from this in addition to, like, commentary and general research that I do for this episode. So... And anyone actually listening to this, Carrie held up the book to the I camera t- like she was doing a commercial for it, even though I know. it's just it's- for me. <laughs> well, just so you can see it, Rachel, isn't it lovely? <laughs> it is. Which what is the official book called? Stargate SG-1, The Essential Scripts. Ah. After this, we have two more in this book. We then have Wormhole Extreme and Abyss coming up to look forward to. Oh, both really good ones. Yes. I mean, it is the essential script, so it would be the good episode. Yes. Yeah, true. Okay, so in this episode, a decade in the future, Earth's alliance with a highly intelligent race of aliens has rendered SGC obsolete. But when Sam, now married to a human ambassador to the aliens, uncovers a terrifying secret about these benevolent beings, she must reassemble SG-1 to send an urgent message to the past. Uh, my first fun fact here is I watched this on Amazon Prime, and for some reason on Amazon, the episode summary is for the episode The Curse. Oh, really? Is that, That's is, funny. Yeah. I was like, for a second, I was like, wait, did I, like, scroll back in episode? I was like, no, it's episode 16. Because for some reason, the one problem I have with Amazon is it doesn't have the episode title on the screen when you're sort of scrolling through the episode list. It just has, like, season four, episode 16, and here's the summary. Like, the episode title isn't there for some reason which is weird and I don't like and I would really like the episode titles on screen when I'm scrolling through the episode list Amazon please and thank you not that anybody there is listening but just you know putting it out there 
Yeah, I think they do that just if you've like selected it, but in order to do that, you have to like start watching the episode. And yeah. so, yeah, it gets very tricky in that regard. I have experienced that myself. Yeah. Yes. Luckily for this, I've already looked up what the episode number is, so it's not too bad. But just if you're looking for, I want to watch episode 2010, which one is that? And there's no episode titles on screen. You're like, well, crap. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So this episode opens with a man seated in an outdoor cafe reading a newspaper with the headline, A Shen Promise Anti-Aging Vaccine Worldwide, which that's a very interesting headline. That'd be Mm -hmm. kind of nice. Sam then comes up and sits down, apologizing for being late and calling him Hun. Uh, They're also wearing rings. So uh, apparently Sam is married to this man. The uh, what? But she also has the same hair and makeup. I know. I mean, I've basically had the same hair for 10 years, so I can't really fault her for that too much. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, you've had evolutions of the same yeah. hairstyle-ish, so you yeah. didn't even try to, like, style it differently. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, with hair that short, there's only so much you can do without just sticking a bad wig on her and we know Stargate does not do great with wigs so uh, yeah anyway so she's running late it's okay he's used to it she's very busy uh, we also learn in this conversation that they've apparently been trying for a baby but without any success which is you know hmm, fun but nah yeah um, unfortunately he's been waiting around long enough that he's already eaten and goes to pay the bill because he has to be off world soon. So Sam's going to walk him to the terminal what? At, this, at this point where you like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like when you like, do you remember like first watching this episode being like, what? Oh, what, what are you, why are you, what? I don't because okay. this, I mean, aside from the ones from the first season that are, you know, like seared into my brain, probably cause I watched those the most, um, this is one of the ones that I very distinctly remember. So okay. I don't, I don't remember what my initial reactions were. Okay. Um, so Sam and Joe, that's, so this, this man, his name is Joe Faxon. I don't know if they ever actually say his name in this episode. I don't know if anybody ever calls him by name. I think they at least say Joe. Okay. So yeah. this is Joe. Um, and they appear on like a transporter thing. Which again, like, what is going on? And he mentions getting a second opinion, but Sam reminds him about how advanced the Ashen are. And it's like, okay, who are the Ashen? What's going on? And they head inside and you can hear the gate dialing as people are walking around. Uh, he teases her about how long he'll be gone, but assures Sam he'll be back for the anniversary ceremony tomorrow. There is then an announcement of outbound travelers to the Confederation planets. Please stand by in the departure area. He heads down to the escalator to the Stargate that is just standing out in the open as we cut to the opening credits. And it was much larger, so that's a new one. No, that's the same gate. But it's huge. No, it's like freaking huge. No, it's the same gate. Same gate? Why yeah. Did it look, why did it look larger? I don't know. Maybe because it's in a big space. So, Maybe. but there, totally, there. It looked like twice the size of the other Stargate for me. Mm, no, because they, they only have one <laughs> gate that like actually spins. So anytime you see a spinning gate, it is the same gate. All right. So I was just crazy pants. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. But unfortunately, not true this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 
so we have our second fun fact here. So this location where the Stargate terminal is, uh, which is very cool. Uh, this is the Plaza of Nations in Vancouver. It was built for the 1986 World Exposition and was basically the center of the entire complex. The expo saw participation from 52 different nations, provinces, territories, and states. The expo attracted more than 22 million visitors from all over the world or, uh, over the course of about five months. And this location can also be seen in the 2005 Fantastic Four movie and X-Men 2. It reminded me of the JFK Museum in Boston, which I have actually had the privilege to see. That is just like this huge area of windows, ridiculously large. And it looked really cool. So yeah, thought it was neat. Yeah, I do find it interesting. And they, they kind of talked about this briefly in the commentary that at the time of filming, this building was already 15 years old, but still looks cool enough to be like 10 years in the future, which I thought oh. was cool. So the architects knew it was up. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> uh, okay, so back at the Stargate terminal, there's a ceremony going on and we see a large screen being lowered from the ceiling for the president of the United States to address them. And guess who it is? Our favorite, the asshole fucking Kinsey, who <sighs> apparently succeeded in his bid for the presidency. So, mm, the aforementioned <sighs> bid. Yes, uh, he does say some very nice words about SG One and how they're responsible for introducing the Ashen to the U.S. and Earth in general, and how Kinsey was then able to negotiate their relationship and the admittance of Earth to the Ashen Confederation, which helped when the Gould came back to Earth. Uh, he reads from Jack's report, who Jack is not there. From their encounter with the Ashen. These folks sound too good to be true, willing to share their science and technology, friendly, smarter than we are. One thing's for sure, the Gould are coming, the Ashen could save our asses. And that is apparently indeed what happened sometime in the past. And he that's then, so interesting, right? That it's, uh, sorry, I'm totally interrupting you, but no, it's interesting how read, read from Kinsey's point of view, it was all like, positive for the Ashen, but if you know that Jack wrote it and kind of say it in your mind from Jack's point of view, it's very much like, I do not trust these people. Yeah. So it's it's so interesting to kind of picture and take into account who's writing it of what it's supposed to mean. Yeah, that these folks sound too good to be true. Whenever Jack Mm -hmm. says that, please listen to him. Yeah. (laughs) He usually knows what's up. Yep. Um, So did you notice what's different about Tilk here? Um, no, now I, now I know that I should have, but no. So he doesn't have the first Prime tattoo anymore. It's been removed. Wait, he didn't have it at all on his head? Nope. Holy crap, did I miss that clean? I'm looking that up on the internet right now. Okay, yeah, go look up, because yeah, just Tilk in his robes, completely bald-headed, like eye makeup, but no gold Apophis tattoo. Apparently the Ashen can like remove it and heal the skin which we learn later they do have very advanced medical equipment. Apparently not advanced enough to be able to uh, remove the Jujifa dependency on symbiotes. But that may be on purpose as we learn, come to learn what their master plan Man, is. How am I that, obs- that non-observant <laughs> where I just like pictured it there? Because you're just so used to seeing it there, your mind just probably went, and there it is. My brain just added it, you know, like your brain does. Your brain fills in the holes. Yeah, look, no. Saw that right on the internet, just no. No tattoo, nope. Hmm. There you go. How about it? Mm -hmm. I really have to work on being more observant. Yep. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> I'm going to quiz you in a few seasons and ask if you can tell me all of the episodes in which Tilk does not have his gold first prime tattoo. Is this the first one or have I missed it elsewhere? Uh, there's one already where it's been gone. Ah! Okay. Okay. Because I can't think of what that is. <laughs> Man! Uh, okay. Right. Now I have homework to do. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's your homework for next week, Rachel. What episode's up to this point? Okay. Okay. Okay, so Kinsey then asks Sam, Daniel, and Tilk to step forward, and they are presented with medals in thanks for what they've done, and the ceremony closes with a 21-gun salute, and we see the, like, the Ashen ambassadors, like, cover their ears as, like, sort of being sort of sensitive to noise, which was uh, a very specific direction from Andy Makita, the director, to sort of a bit of a difference between, you know, Earth humans and Ashen humans, and... It's never explicitly said if the Ashen are descended from Earth humans or if they're like a separate humanoid race that managed to evolve on another planet, but they are apparently sensitive to loud noises. I very much noticed that all the loud noises, they were doing the salute inside. Yes. And, okay, here's another thing from the commentary that the group of airmen back there that are doing this are uh, a sort of specific um, group from the Canadian military who have trained sort of to do this kind of thing specifically for film and TV. Oh, like this is like a large part of their job is being like on screen color guard type people. Huh. That's an awesome icebreaker at a party. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. At the reception, Sam, Joe, Daniel, Tilk, and Janet raise a glass in toast to general Hammond who passed six years ago Jack's not there because he's apparently not on board with this whole alliance thing. And they're like, well, he still could have come to see us. And Janet mentions that she almost didn't come since basically her job is now obsolete when they are interrupted by an Ashen named Malum. He asks for Joe to come tell the rest of them about his recent trip to their southern continent. So he's like, okay, going to go do that, honey. I'll be home late. Uh, The rest of them decide to grab dinner later before Daniel and Tilk wander off to continue mingling. And Sam and Janet talk a bit more about the whole being obsolete thing. And basically the Ashen have all of the greatest medical medicine and medical equipment like anti-aging and anti-cancer vaccines and machines that can mend broken bones and damaged tissue, etc. So there's really not much use for a doctor like Janet is. And Sam kind of gets it. Like while she does still have a job working with slash four question mark the Ashen uh the science they talk about is just so far above her head and Jen is like yeah but you still have a job uh but enough about that how are Sam and Joe doing with the whole baby thing and Sam's like you know nothing yet and Sam assures Janet that the Ashen have said they're both fine they just need to keep trying Janet offers to give her a checkup and Sam refuses at first because the Ashen are so advanced that surely they know what's going on and Janet's like you know I used to be your doctor Second opinion couldn't hurt, right? So, okay, fine. So they apparently leave right away to go do this. Uh, and sometime a bit later in Janet's office, well, it's not good news. Janet doesn't know why the Ashen doctors would have said Sam was fine when her ovaries are very clearly damaged. And a uh, slight change in the script here. The script actually called for Janet to sort of uh, compare her scan from today to a scan from like eight years ago to see the difference in like how her oh. like ovaries looked and stuff. So, yeah. which I think might've helped a bit. 
but I mean, it, I mean, it clearly I mean, does yeah. show like damaged ovaries, but it would have been yeah, interesting like, to see, you know, the difference. What healthy ovaries look like in this particular scan? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it got the point across too, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. It worked. Yep. And Sam's just like, why? And Jen is like, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know when, but you know, some time ago and Sam's like, no, that's not what I'm asking. I'm liking, I, I want to know why they lied to me. And Jen is like, I don't know, but I'll help you find out because obviously this is a very big thing to like lie about to a person. Yeah. I, they, I mean, when we're going over like the episode as a whole, I kind of feel like the, <laughs> It's like this one thing happens, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, "Wait a minute, they weren't what they said they were." Hold on, and I, <laughs> I don't know. For all of the characters and all of the bonds that they have, I find that very hard to believe that they would all be like, "Oh, they're amazing, they're all there," and then this one thing happens, they're like, "Oh, I had no idea." Like, I don't. It yeah. Seems, it seems not at all how those characters would have progressed to me. Well, I guess it's sort of a thing where it's just like Jack has a gut feeling, but there is nothing to back up his gut feeling. Where in the past, when he's had that gut feeling, we've then seen something right away that confirms Jack's gut feeling that something is wrong. This, for the past 10 years, everything's been great. Now, though, they have the proof that Jack's gut feeling was right. And that that's just, a, it's unfortunately that it took 10 years to get there, mm. I think. That's true. Yeah, it still seems still seems hinky to me that Jack would have been like, no, this is too good to be true. This is crazy, crazy pants. And the rest of them wouldn't have still kind of held on to that. Okay, we believe you. We hear you. But we're going to yeah. proceed with caution. <laughs> yeah. But then also, if Kinsey was president, he may have just steamrolled everything and been like, we're doing this. And they could have been like, but can we wait? But he's like, nope, we're doing it. You know. Who, know, who knows yeah. how, you know, much Kinsey and the powers that be interfered of, you know, those in power above the SGC, so. That's true, but then, you know, like Sam and Daniel and Tilk and stuff, they still could have held out that, um, we're going to keep our eye out. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's true, yeah. Okay, okay, so in Sam's lab, Malum is there and brings up a hologram of Jupiter and there's apparently a plan to turn Jupiter into another sun, question mark, which... Um, I have no idea why that would be necessary. Uh, so in the script, it's actually, they actually spell out exactly what the plan is. And I don't know why they cut it because like the scene as it is, you like, you kind of maybe get what's going on, but not really. And it's, it's, I mean, it's like two sentences and I don't know why it didn't make it to screen. So after mom says the thing about... Um, Considering the rapid growth of your population and vi viability of the planet, you know, this is something you would have considered. And he then continues, Jupiter has several moons. Within a century of the conversion, two of them will become habitable. So that's their plan to turn Jupiter into another sun to use then the moons as new Earths for the large yeah. population of the current Earth. I mean, why didn't they put that in there? I don't know. Well, maybe they took it out because then it completely contradicts the population argument they fed Joe. True, but I mean, they could say they're planning on doing this without any plans to actually do it because as Malam says, oh, it doesn't look like there's actually enough stuff in the solar system to actually do what we want to do, blah, blah, blah. 
you know, hey, this is a cool plan. Oh, we can't make the plan work. Oh, sorry, we tried. Sorry, you know. Yeah, easy enough to. I don't know. Um. Anyway, so Mama has concerns, and Sam's like, well, so let's just redo the calculations. And he's like, okay. And she, and you know, Sam's like, you know, using the Earth computers is going to take way too long. Can you please give me access to your computer core so I can do it that way? And I think Malam has a little bit of a crush on Sam. And he's like, why do you let me talk? Why do I let you talk me into doing this stuff? Because, of course, he gives her computer access. Mm -hmm. So he gets her set up and then leaves her alone in the lab. So then Janet comes in. And so this was their plan to sort of get access to the main Ashen computer core so they can dig into the sort of specific medical records that they may have. And my question, why isn't this in English? Like, I, it's like, I, I know the Asian probably have their own language and stuff, but if, like, why isn't there a, a, an American English version of this database that we're looking at? Because, you know, we're... Um, I would think it's America. because they don't assume they're ever going to give American Earthlings access to it. So why would you make it so that they oh, can actually true. read it? That's true. I didn't think about yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense then. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense because first mm -hmm. I was like, oh, why isn't that in English? Yeah, they don't. They don't sound like they're ever going to want to make that data available. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Yep, got it. Okay. So after digging around a little and trying a few different search parameters, they find it, and oh, holy crap! This is insane. According to what Sam is seeing, the birth rate has dropped by ninety-one percent. And it's basically everywhere that the anti-aging vaccine has been disseminated across the planet. And this is big news. And Janice is like, no, turn it off right now. Like, we definitely need to talk about this, but not here. Let's talk about it later at dinner. So apparently this is all still the same day as the ceremony from this morning. <laughs> which this is a lot to happen in like 12 no. hours. I don't know. It must have been an early ceremony to then have an exam and then go to work and then go to Because usually those ceremonies are like in the evening because then there's like a dinner and a reception with like drinking and champagne and like all of that. Like, was this at like 8 a.m. or something? I don't know. It was a little weird. And they're like, no, no, we have stuff to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they're at dinner and Sam and Janet are filling Daniel and Tilk in on what they found and they all try and like talk it out and understand why the Ashen would do this. And it's basically, it's just the very slow and efficient way of eliminating the people of Earth. And Daniel wants to do something, tell somebody, and then Janet speaks up about the night before General Hammond died that he had called her to say he had something very important he needed to tell her, but he couldn't tell her over the phone. And then that evening he died of a heart attack, which yeah. Janet said was impossible, but the Ashen doctors assured her that it's what happened. And apparently now she's thinking that he may have been murdered. Kind of try to put together in your brain how Hammond would have actually learned this kind of information. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he overheard something, if he got his hands on documents he wasn't supposed to. I, yeah, I don't. That I don't know. I could not mm -hmm. figure that. But obviously that is what he figured out. So, yeah. Or why he wouldn't have also tried to tell Jack because Jack actually was skeptical. Yeah, I mean, maybe he went to Dr. Frazier because it's sort of medical stuff that isn't his thing. And maybe he wanted confirmation of is is what I'm seeing what's like actually like, am I right about what I'm seeing in this, I don't know, report or what I overheard or something. Yeah. So, I mean, it would make sense to go to somebody to confirm medical information that you're not really that sure about. So, 
True. True. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Sam wants to tell Joe. Daniel doesn't think that's a great idea. Not that he necessarily thinks that Joe's in on it, but even if we tell him, like, what could he do? Like, even if he's able to convince the president what's really going on and the president tells the people of Earth, then what? They We all fight back. And, well, that's not going to go well, considering how apparently how easily they wiped out the Gould. So it's like, okay, so what about, like, the Tolan or the remaining members of the Tok'ra? Or are there any Jaffa that would help? And so it's like, not so much. There's not, apparently there's not a lot of symbiotes left out there. So there's apparently just not a lot of Jaffa anymore. So we're sort of getting a lot of very interesting information in a very casual way in this conversation, which I like. Oh, I like when see, shows I found that this. really weird. That they all said it with no feel like there was no, there was mention of the Toker that are left, but no mention of her dad. Yeah, that is a weird thing that there's no mention of like, You'd think they would toast to Jacob, too, maybe, if he's not around anymore, or, yeah. That is definitely something that was missing, yeah, mention of Sam's dad, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know, I guess, I like, it's a more, it's a more natural way of info-dumping stuff to the audience, rather than just, like, having a voiceover or somebody reading something from a report, like... We're getting the information we need, but in a way that sounds natural to the events that are actually happening on screen. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what was different for me was that, yeah, having it like talk about it in a conversation, just, you know, relaying facts and stuff is a way easier way of of doing the exposition. But I, I thought it was weird how they were all just like well man, what's left of this and no more symbiotes and like without being like these things are weird. <laughs> oh, I guess it's just, it's just been that long that it's just how things are now. Yeah. For them, so. Yeah. 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 Um, and Sam's like, holy crap, we don't even control the Stargate anymore. Like this morning we were celebrating and now what? And well, now Daniel wishes he could take it all back. And they're then interrupted by the waitress who comes over with the bill and asks if there's anything else. And Daniel's like, apparently not. <laughs> yeah. right. uh, so she leaves and Sam's like, maybe we can take it back. Remember General Hammond showed us. It's like, oh yeah, that whole thing. And Janet's like, what are you talking about? And they then fill her Janet in on the whole 1969 incident that she has apparently never been privy to before Mm -hmm. this moment, which I mean, makes sense. Time travel, you need to keep that quiet because that's universe exploding stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do find it interesting that both time travel episodes involve, are are like named after their like years. 1969 and 2010. I like it. I know. It's like, it's, but it's just, it's interesting. It's like, oh, huh, those are both, the, those are the time travel episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Um, okay. So yeah, they're, they're, so the main problem with that is the whole predicting a solar flare thing. And Sam's like, yeah, with Earth computers, it's basically impossible. But with the Ashen computers, haha. And so Janet speaks up and is like, we are considering changing the lives of the entire human race on Earth. Do we have the right? And Sam goes, if we don't, then we will live to see the end of the entire human race on Earth. Which, very good point. Um, Very good point indeed. Yes. Uh, In the script, the scene actually then continued for probably several more minutes with further discussions of, like, them needing to get Zats and the GDO and trying to get, like, Jack back involved and the stuff we see play out, they actually like talk about here, which I think is okay being cut, but yeah, an interesting thing. So 
So Sam goes to visit Jack at his cabin, still calls him sir, even though he's retired, and she fills him in on everything. And he's like, I told you, sorry. Uh, And she mentioned that they have a plan to fix it, but that they're going to need his help. Um, Interesting note here from both the script and the commentary. So this scene was actually shot uh, before they filmed The Curse because they had just come back from hiatus and Richard Dean Anderson had that like beard on and they were like, perfect. We, we need that for this. So they shot this scene then before this script was even really fully finished. Ah, uh, that um, would probably be why they didn't do anything with Sam's hair or look or anything. Yes. She had to match too. Yes. Um, so, but the other interesting thing you may note is some bad overdubbing or some weird like, I did notice it was weird that because, I did actually see. Yeah, because they hadn't decided on how to pronounce a Shen yet at this point, and they were still pronouncing it as Ashen. So they had to go back then once they got to filming the, you know, the rest of the episode and had settled on pronouncing it a Shen. They had to go back and redub that. Um, they did miss one for Amanda, but they left Jack's in. But that's okay because Jack mispronounces stuff all the time anyway, so... Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I didn't mind it on Jack, but for some reason they did miss one of Amanda's where she does still say Ashen. And I didn't mm-hmm. get it. But anyway, but yeah, if you notice the weird dubbing, that's why. Because it was filmed probably like several weeks before the rest of the episode. So Yay, that one I did catch. Okay. But I thought it was just me. <laughs> yeah. It's also weird, like, they could have, like... Because it's very obviously Amanda Tapping's mouth not matching the words that are coming out of her mouth. It's like, why didn't you, like, cut back to Jack? And so we just hear her saying a Shen without having to then also see her saying Ashen, which you wouldn't think would look that different. But it really does. Yeah. So, face moves. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Mm. So she then fills him in on the plan. So she says, we know what we have to do. I am almost positive that with the Ashen computer and solar obser- observatory, I can predict a flare within a few hours of its happening, and we should be able to get our hands on a GDO. So it'll come down to accessing the gate within that window, dialing the right address, and sending the message. And I was like, oh, is that all? Great. Have fun. Yeah. Uh, so like, so Jack's out. He's sorry things aren't going well with for them, but he's perfectly happy with his life. There's no more like planet saving emergencies, just fishing in his pond with no fish and trying to decide if he should get a dog. And she continues trying to convince him like, you know, it'll be easier with you than without you. And he's like, nope, sorry, good luck, but bye. So bye. yeah, Jack is over it. Hmm. So Sam pops up back at the Stargate terminal where Daniel and Tilk are waiting and is like, well, we're on our own. So Daniel may have found a GDO. Apparently the only working GDO is on display at the SGC. So that's going to be their next stop. But they're like, Tilk, you should go back to Chulak so as not to raise any suspicion. And Sam will get back to him in a couple days. So this is just one of like my favorite scenes in all of Stargate, this tour guide, she is doing the <laughs> most and I love it. Yeah. Love it. So we're at the SGC. The tour guide exits the elevator with a group that includes Sam and Daniel and they're on level 28. And she wants to know if anyone knows what very special room is on this floor. And the little kid speaks up and says, it's the gate room. She's like, mm, that's close, but not exactly. And Daniel's like, uh, it is the gate room. It really is the gate room. And then just again, one of my favorite lines uh, where she goes, 
What I'm sure many of you don't know is that officially it was known as the embarkation room because that's where the SG teams embarked from. Okay, now we're walking this way. <laughs> She's so good. I love it so much. Um, but if you remember, in early season one, and I think in a bit into season two, they do call it the embarkation room. I knew it was in reference to something, but I didn't remember when. Yeah, uh, yeah, very early. And I think they just got tired of saying embarkation and just changed it to gate room. So, but there was yeah. a time when it was actually called the embarkation room in canon on the show. Um, so they continue down the hall and there's like, you know, artifacts and photos and they stop at a photo of SG-1 and General Hammond and SG-1 is arguably the most famous, but not the tour guide's favorite team, which the script actually goes on to say who her favorite team is. Would you like to know? Oh, good, because I really did want to know. Okay, so the tour guide's favorite SG team is the diplomatic team of SG-9 headed by Colonel Kovacek. And this is the team that was sent to retrieve SG-1 during the episode Prisoners. And they were taken, you know, that hell planet. Okay. So, yeah. So, she likes SG-9, apparently. Oh, that's good, because I really did want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so, we make it to the gate room, and there are exhibits set up, you know, all over the room, including a replica of the gate. And for some reason, behind, like, the mouth that's right on the left there is a banner from Bedrosia from the episode Newground, which I don't know why that's there. They don't. They didn't, like, get one of those. They just, you know, jumped back through the gates. I'm a little confused as to why we have a Bedrosian banner in our in our gate room on display. But it um, probably was just more of the, this is, I, we have it lying around. Yes. And it would definitely be a conversation piece. Let's put it in the museum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really was just, like, the set designers going back to the props room and being like, what do we have? And just grabbing all of it, mm-hmm. you know from all the episodes. Um, apparently you can get a picture with the gate for $27. Please don't touch it. And they're walking Which actually the seems kind of cheap for 2010. It does, which uh, I have a picture of myself at the gate <laughs> when, I, when, I toured <laughs> the, when I toured the set. So. Did it cost $27? Um, no, because it was, just, well, it was included with the cost of like the ticket, which included the tour. So I don't know how I could break that out. What was the whole cost of the tour ticket tour? I don't, I do not even remember. It was a very long time ago. Ugh. I don't think was I've it been. Was it 2010? No. It was like 2008, I think. Cause, oh, close enough. Because SG-1 was not on the air in 2010. I don't think. They were, they, because it was 10 years. So they would have, uh, so 2009 would have been last. Let's take a quick look. When did the last episode of season 10 air? Uh, oh, 2007. Yeah, last episode aired in 2007. So um, I think I went in, so maybe it was 2006 I went. I don't know. You remember. went while it was still on the air, yes? Uh, yes. I went when, like they had announced it had been canceled. And I was like, I need to go so I can tour the set before they tear it down. So it must have been 2006. Ah. Because, yeah, because they were still filming. Already. So Sam and Daniel start walking up the ramp. And, oh, hey, there's Jack. Apparently he changed his mind. Which I love, too, how they introduce him. That he just subtly looks at them and is like, and we're walking. What? Yeah. We're walking. <laughs> making fun of the all-famous yep. tour guide. I love how it's just very casual. Like, 
nobody says anything other than just like we're walking okay. and we'll pass. love it yes yep yep so up in the briefing room, Jack is waiting with you know, some equipment like Zats and the GDO, and the Zats are still operational, which is cool. The GDO, however, is just a replica. It's fake, so crap. Uh, we then get Walter comes in and is like, you guys can't be in here. He's like, oh, wait, it's you guys. You still can't be here. And they kind of like okay. sweet talk him. Uh, and they ask him where like the real GDO is, and he doesn't want to tell them, but eventually... Uh, tells him that it's on the president's desk in the Oval Office, and this is the episode where Walter is given his first name. So ah, he did not have nice. a first name prior to this. It was not actually in the script. It was just like a sort of flub and ad lib from Rick to recover from like apparently not remembering what his line was supposed to be. So I, oh. that's why it's, it's kind of like Walter, like trying to buy buy himself time mm-hmm. to remember what he's supposed to say. I did read something that they had thought about naming him Norman, but they never got around to actually putting that in the script. So then once Rick called him Walter, then, well, it just became Walter. So I mean, it fits. So obviously he went yes. with the ad lib. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Jack says that he's going to take the Zats. Don't worry. He'll bring them back on Thursday. And Walter's kind of like, ah, mm. he's like, okay, but you have to tell me what's going on when you bring them back. Tell me everything. And so then he leaves. Sam and Daniel yell, thank you. And Walter yells back Thursday, which that was an ad lib. That was not scripted. That was just them saying him going Thursday. (laughs) Carrie Jones, good on you. So Sam thinks she knows how to get the GDO from Kinsey's office. And they're like, Joe. It's like, yep. Yeah. Husband. Got to bring him into this, unfortunately. So. Yes. So back at Sam's house, uh, Joe comes home, checks in on Sam, who seems a little depressed. Apparently, Malam had mentioned that she'd left work early, and Joe just wants to keep trying. And Sam's like, we can't. Like, nobody can. Uh, hard cut to the restaurant with Jack, Daniel, and Janet, who have met up after the little excursion. Daniel has written the note that he thinks they should send, and they're, Janet and Jack are both like, that's it. That's it. And he's like, I... I think this is a situation where you want to keep it purposefully vague, like just enough to get the necessary information across, but not too much because time travel, who knows how it works. Um, And uh, no, Jack, they can't include any information about who won any of the various sporting events over the last few years. Sorry. Uh, Jack then suggests that everyone write their own note just in case, or I guess plan A doesn't work. So, which Mm -hmm. is not a bad idea. Yeah. True. So back with Sam and Joe, turns out Joe knew about this. I mean, Joe was like, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, But apparently the Ashen had assured assured him it'd only be like 30 percent. They fight because, of course, they wouldn't. She was like, you kept this from me. And he's like, you kept secrets your whole life. She's like, that's not the same thing. And it's really not. It's like, like, this is. (sighs) Yeah, I'm, I'm mad at Joe, too. I know, and I wonder how the Ashen would have would have sold that to them yeah. of of oh no 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 it's selective it's only gonna be for like thirty but like how I very much would have been asking questions of how exactly are you going to do that yeah and how are you going to choose the thirty percent like but then they also introduce an anti aging vaccine so you're gonna prevent us from having children but help us live longer so. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, So, Uh, discussion question for you. Okay. Do you think 
everything would have gone down the same if Sam and Joe had been able to have kids and they learned that the rest of the world was still cut by 90%, like somehow they hadn't taken the vaccines yet or whatever, and they were able to actually have kids? I think eventually, but I think it would have taken a lot longer than even 10 years, because I think this was something that was sort of mentioned in the message boards of how did it take this long to figure it out? Because surely like people who go to like daycare, people who are teachers would eventually realize we're not getting new babies. We're not getting new young children. Like everybody's aging out and there's nobody to take their place. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it eventually would have gotten to that point. Um, the only thing is we don't know here. It's been at least probably three years because that's how long they've been trying for a baby without success. So, um, but I guess the question is when did this start? And I guess if they sort of do it randomly and sporadically enough where it's like a city in like Europe gets the treatment, but then a city in the U.S. get where if they spread it out enough, they might be able to sort of spread out the uh, lowering of the birth rate where it might take some time for all of the communities to figure out amongst themselves um, like what's going on, you know? I mean, I got the idea that they did it pretty quickly because when she looks up the stats and says in the past two years, 90% yeah. of the baby population is gone. Like that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be like, it's been steadily declining over the last, I don't that's know, go, true. With, go with six. Cause that's when Hammond died, you mm. know, or something like that in a steady decline. But she's like, holy crap, within the last two years, 90% of the people are infertile. Yeah, that yeah, that it that is a little fast and steep for it to yeah be completely unnotable. Like yeah, I feel like have, that's kind of the kind of thing that the Ashen would have been like, well, they're gonna be pretty pretty hip to this, you know, yeah. pretty quickly. So let's just do it and then be like, oopsie. Yeah. And I was about to say, what about OBGYNs? It's like, well, apparently the Ashen have taken over all of like their medical staff, so they could hide it there. And Daniel said something earlier, and Sam's like, you think they can't control the media? So maybe there are people who figured it out and tried to say something, but everything was just squashed because of how much control we've given the Ashen mm -hmm. over everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Um, okay. So eventually Joe kind of is like, okay, yeah, shit, this is really bad. I need to go talk to the president. And Sam's like, yeah, you do, but not, not about this. I need you to get the GDO from his desk, please. That would be great. Um, so fun thing in the commentary here. So uh, just the, uh, sort of about the casting of Christopher Cousins as Joe, who is, is a very attractive man. His great casting is like Sam's husband. Like, I get it. Um, so uh, Andy Mikita had brought a photo of Christopher after he'd been cast like a rehearsal, but Christopher hadn't yet made it to Vancouver to like meet any of the cast yet and showed, you know, his headshot to Amanda. Amanda immediately approved of his casting. He's like, <laughs> yes, thank you. That's great. And apparently Andy still has the photo, at least of the recording of the commentary, still has Christopher's headshot in a binder where with, with like a lipstick mark on his cheek from Amanda, where Amanda apparently like kissed his photo. <laughs> and I was like, that's adorable. And I love it. So that's so funny. Yeah. So Christopher Cousins, again, I don't think he can be in Vancouver Actors Bingo because he's not a Vancouver specific actor, but this dude, he's with like in Vampire Diaries. He was like in a whole bunch of stuff. So like, 
I yeah. wish I've I mean I don't know his whole repertoire but I it seems like everything I see him in he always ends up playing somebody who's like nice guy on the surface and then you learn he is some variation of asshole <laughs> that is all the roles I've ever seen him in so I really would love to see him in something where he genuinely genuinely is just yeah. good guy because there's yeah. always something like sly going on with the characters mm-hmm. he plays every single yeah. time yeah yeah that's true but he's very good at it so yeah <laughs> well I mean he's just he's a good guy here really well, yeah, but then you, you find out the storyline of that he knew and he conveniently yeah. conveniently forgot to yes. tell anybody this or also conveniently conveniently believed them when they said it was only being really 30 I guess. And yeah. I guess. It's not as harsh as some of the other stuff, but. No, but there's, there's <laughs> it's still always, not great. I guess it's still not great. Something. Always. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so we're now in Sam's office, and they're all looking at a live projection of the sun, and Sam has been studying what the Ashen know about solar dynamics and believes that she'll be able to predict when a solar flare will be happening using all of their equipment and information. And Janet will apparently be going to Chulak to get Tilk, and uh, then Joe shows up, and he got what they need, but will only give it to them if they promise to keep Sam out of it. And they all try to protest, like, including Sam, but nope, like, that that's his line. I will help you, but not if Sam is involved. So, okay, fine. So he has the GDO, and it is currently in the customs office at the Stargate terminal, and it will only be released on Joe's word. Uh, from Daniel in the back, hey, the sun is beeping, which another... <laughs> I love that line, too. Uh, So we have a solar flare prediction. We will apparently have a solar flare in 57 minutes. So it is go time. Jack walks into the Stargate terminal and Joe hands him a box with the GDO. He has to make sure there's enough time for him and Sam to get away. And Jack's like, well, you have six minutes. So good luck. Uh, (laughs) There's that. Yeah. Uh, there's then an announcement for outgoing travelers to Chulak. We see Jack get, it's apparently called a Pitton gun, P-I-T-O-N, which is hmm. the thing that, you know, shoots the large metal dart into the wall so you can make a zip line out of something. Oh, um, yeah, okay. That's apparently what it's called. Uh, he gets that assembled, puts it and the Zat in a large duffel bag. We see Joe head out, meet Sam by the transporter. She's staying. She's not going. If the plan succeeds, it's not going to matter where they are when this all goes down. I also had the thought in my head of when they announced outgoing travelers to Chulak. I was like, I wonder how much a ticket to Chulak costs. I, yeah. Is there, yeah. <laughs> is there, is, do you have to buy <laughs> a ticket? Yeah, I don't know. Do you have to make a reservation? How much does this cost? Is it, or is it just what a free to use thing? Like, what sort of clearance do you have to have? Yeah. Because mm. I mean, when we see Daniel go through, he swipes some kind of like ID card thing. Right. So... Is it Something. like a bus fare? Yeah. Is it like 10 bucks to get you to July? Is it like the farther away it is, the more expensive it is? Like, Yeah. yeah. Or is it just, you know, the power of the gate? Yeah. Just the power cost? Yeah. Know. I don't know. I don't know. Good questions. Very good questions. <laughs> How much is a ticket to Chulak? Could be an awesomely <laughs> bad song. <laughs> Midnight train to Chulak. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm not doing that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, very inconveniently, Malum shows up in front of Jack and is like, hey, nice to see you. They talk about like him not being at the celebration, but why he's there now. And Jack very quickly is like, Tilk, my buddy, Tilk, he's coming back into town and we're going to like see each other and hang out because I haven't seen him in a while. And so we then get the incoming wormhole from Chulak. And this is when things kind of start overlapping each other. So we get Daniel walking through through the security gate with the briefcase and we get, you know, he gets beeped from something. He's just like, oh, it's archaeological equipment. It happens all the time. Then Tilk and another Jaffa come through the gates carrying their staff weapons, which are not allowed. And the guard's like, I need you to give it to me. And Tilk's like, sure. And just blasts him, mm-hmm. which is like very convenient line. Like it. Uh Daniel opens his briefcase, pulls out his dat. That's the guard. That was by him. Jack, that's Malum. Tilk heads to the DHD and starts dialing. We then get a call over the PA system. Terrorist attack in progress. Please evacuate the building immediately. We then get uh, some sort of automated defense kicking in that starts firing at Tilk. And there are these sort of little, like, pinpoint laser blasts start hitting him. If they knew that was going to happen, I'm not quite sure why they didn't start firing at those first. That was my question. That was my question. It's like, you know, this is here. How is taking this out not part of the plan? Because you know this is going to happen. First priority. Yeah, I know. Disable the automatic defense system. How is that? They also seem pretty easy to do if Tilt can just fire at them with his gun or you can like over electrify them with the Zat guns. Yeah. It's like. I'm, I was very confused by the lack of consideration for this automatic defense system. <laughs> uh, so the other Jaffa that came with Silk starts shooting back at those weapons. Jack fires pit and gun, like sort of over the gate to get the zip line in place. The other Jaffa is killed by the weapons. Tilt gets hit a few more times. People start running out from the building. So Sam runs in with Joe running after her. Uh, Jack sends the GDO code, hooks himself up to the zip line, and heads down towards the gate, which from the commentary, this is Rick doing his own stunts. He did the full zip line by himself. And then apparently everybody else that was there was like, I want to play too. So I <laughs> had fun with the zip line that day. Um, we see, unfortunately, Tilk is killed by the automatic weapons, and he just kind of like collapses over the DHD. Jack falls from the zip line after getting hit by the blasts himself. Gets up, starts running towards the gate, but unfortunately he gets taken down and Sam runs in just in time to see him die. Daniel gets up, starts running towards Jack, is killed himself like on the stairs of the gate. So Sam runs down the escalator as Joe runs into the building, like yelling for the automatic system to be shut down. Sam runs towards Jack, picks up the note that's like still sort of right near Jack's hand where it fell, gets shot in the back right in front of the gate manages to throw the note through the gate as she falls and apparently dies. I missed where the blood came from. Um, Because he like got hit in like the hand from the blast. So he was holding the note and it just was on his hand. So the laser thing makes you bleed. Yes. Like if, if you notice, like uh, when they hit their face, they get sort of like tiny bleeding wounds. Yeah. But I didn't see, like, open bleeding. No. I mean, and there's like, there's not a lot of blood in there. It's kind of like if you got a bad paper cut and don't really notice, you might kind of smear some blood. 
a I'm lot of blood for a paper cut. I don't know what kind of paper cuts you get. I, well, I mean, okay, so you get like <laughs> 10 paper cuts because this is basically like these lasers are basically like death by a thousand paper cuts kind of thing mm. where it's not like one blast kills you. It's like enough to slow you down, but then enough of them will take and you down. Yep. Yeah. So back at the SGC, and apparently the present day, there's an incoming traveler, and it's SG-1, who are in the control room. So what's going on? So Hammond calls for the defense team to be on standby as they open the iris. The note falls through the wormhole, and they all head down to see what's going on. Jack picks it up, reads it, kind of like turns it over, looks at it a few times, hands it to Daniel. And apparently the note says, under no circumstances, go to P4C970, Colonel Jack O'Neill. Jack confirms that is his handwriting and his signature. And Janet looks at the note, which appears to have blood on it. So she's going to go analyze it. And apparently 970 was on their mission list, but like not anymore. Hammond's striking it from their mission list. He's not taking any chances. And Sam wonders why Jack sent the note and uh, also, also when? He sent the note. Yeah. As we come to the end. Yeah. I thought that the way Jack said his line of like, or went like in his pensive kind of thinky, he said it and emoted in a way that maybe he knew more than he was saying, but that isn't really the circumstances. Yeah. So I thought it was just a weird reaction instead of just kind of like, huh, that's weird. He was like, hmm. Does make you wonder. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have memos for us this week? Uh, my only memo really was listen to Jack. I think we've talked about before many episodes too of just like listen to the experts when the experts yeah. know what they're talking about. And yeah, yeah the, the biggest problem I had with this episode is I really don't think that all of the characters would have, have evolved as such with mm. completely believing this other race and then all of a sudden being like, oh, they tricked us, especially yeah. when Jack was so skeptical and knowing what yeah. they know about space and other races and hidden agendas in general, I feel like they would have been way more skeptical or at least, you know, had that yeah. little caution. Yeah. Bell. Yeah. Very so. true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, so the episode title, obviously uh, part A of this is it takes place in the year 2010. Um, the other part is that it's a reference to the novel by Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, called 2010 Odyssey 2, which is his equal to 2001, a space odyssey novel. Mm -hmm. And apparently in the novel 2010, there is also a plan to turn Jupiter into a sun. Oh, fun. There so you go. So in the 2010 that happened in real life, you would have wanted to take from the fake 2010 the wardrobe? Yes. 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 Yeah. And and I think the transporter pads Transported pads really cool, but we only saw one. How many do you yeah. think there were? I mean, I guess that's the question. I mean, it, are they, yeah, like, are they, like, within cities, or are they just, like, from city to city, or, yeah, are they, like, bus stops now, where they're, like, you know, every two or three blocks? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That, are, that uh, would be a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Andy did mention that he's kind of sorry they never filmed, like, the front of it. Because, like, the art department did a really good job of, like, making it, like, the front of it, like, where you actually, like, input whatever it is you would input to go actually, oh. like, look really cool. And for some reason, they just never filmed it from that angle. Oh. <laughs> and they were like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. If I was an art department person, too, I'd be really sad. Yeah. Here's my question for you. Did you realize that the Stargate Terminal is in Washington, D.C.? No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's supposed to be in DC. Oh, interesting. Yes. Well, it makes sense though. If you're going to have one awesome thing that is intergalactically relevant, you might as well put it where the government can keep yeah. an eye on it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it does make sense, but I, I, I wish they had made that a little clearer in the episode. Like when they're at dinner, uh, that sort of first night after the ceremony, the, that matte painting out the windows is Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So, but that's really kind of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess I was also wondering too of like how much of this stuff was for like public consumption. Like we talk about, you know, the transporter mm-hmm. things. Obviously, the medical stuff was, but can like yeah. moral people go to Tulak like we were talking about before I wish they had kind of described that as well of how much this stuff was still pretty hush hush and elite and how much was it you know for the everyday man yeah also it's still in America yep Uh uh-huh yeah you think they'd maybe put it where like the UN is or something maybe but nope it's still it's still ours it's ours people it's ours (laughs) Uh. yep so yeah Okay. Um, but overall thoughts for this episode. We like it. Overall, this is this is one of my favorite. I just I love yeah. I love futuristic time travel stuff, especially like I said, when it's mm-hmm. taking place in the future, which is now the past. Yes. Yeah. So you can point and laugh at yep. everything that they assumed when <laughs> yep. <laughs> be. Yeah. And yeah, this is this is definitely one of the ones that sticks out in my brain, too, because it's it's also very interesting of of making that choice. Right. Of like, yeah, like I was saying before, of you know, if Sam and Joe had been able to conceive kids and if they had kids, would they still have made the same decision of like, but I have my family, I have everything I need. But do I do this for the greater good instead? I like that kind of that kind of thought experiment, too. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah. Like Janet said, of do we have the right to make this decision for everybody? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, OK, so here's the question. Did they make the right choice? I think so. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I mean, me too. Yeah. Obviously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, Before we completely wrap up, we have an email. <gasps> we do. Yes. Exciting. Um, From a new listener. What? Uh, Robert. We're up to like, we're up to five. <laughs> we might be at seven now, I think. Holy crap. <laughs> um, so this is from Robert. Uh, he goes, so I only recently found this podcast and am re watching now and I'm on the season three wrap up episode, but it's been mentioned a few times about if a planet, if a planet's whole inhabitants live near the gate. For me, I've always thought it had to do with how the Gould impacted the planet. On planets that seem to have not been impacted by the Gould in a longer time and have been allowed to grow and evolve technologically and as a civilization, seems to have other countries and or villages that are mentioned. But planets that inhabitants have more recently been enslaved all seem to live near the gate, probably because they just haven't been able to grow. I like that. Yeah. I mean, that does make sense because... It is mentioned several times that the Gould do try to keep populations down. So I guess it really just is how involved, quote unquote, the Gould still is on a planet. Yeah, I or, think they they go over that concept a lot more in Atlantis, don't they? Of Yeah, with the wraith and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, with the wraith of purposefully not allowing populations to evolve to a certain mm-hmm. point. So therefore they're all kind of still centralized and small. 
Yeah, and, and yeah, like, probably, like not, yeah, not technologically advanced so that they can become then a force against the race. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's probably a concept that is just kind of generally thought of in SG one, but they don't specifically say it. Yeah. Like I think it's it's probably a lot clearer if sort of in recent episodes in like demons where there's you know that Unas who sort of is the the mouthpiece of the Gould if you will mm-hmm. you know um, right. like that planet makes sense why everybody's still just kind of right there because yeah they're they're still ve- a very active threat mm-hmm. to them so yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah so. Robert we agree with you. Yes, we do. Thank you. Thank you for writing in. Please, please write in some more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. As always, thank you for listening. And you can find us on Twitter for now uh, at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Absolute Power. Bye. Bye.